Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And today we have with us Holly Wade. She is an Enneagram 7 certified yoga instructor, also a licensed clinician. And she also is certified in the Daring Way program by Brene Brown. She studied personally with Brene Brown, and we're just really, really excited to have her with us because we're going to talk about Brene Brown and the Enneagram and maybe what Brene Brown could teach each Enneagram type based on her work uh, connected to shame and vulnerability. So thanks for joining us today. I think you're really going to love what Holly has to say. So welcome, Holly, to Enneagram Plus Yoga. We're so glad to have you. I first met you when we were doing our 500-hour teacher training with Jessica. We had some workshops that we did together, and that's where we met for the first time. And I also know that you did a workshop at Yoga Landing, and it was about Brene Brown. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, you being certified um, as a teacher with Brene Brown and, and what that means? Um, yes, I am um, what they call a certified Daring Way facilitator. And it means I paid some money and took a class. I did take a class with Brene. I mean, it was a three-day training and she was there. Um, and the way I got into it was if I was a new therapist and one of my friends sent me her, it wasn't her TED talk, but it was a compilation of her TED talk. And they sent it to me and I, I was sitting at my computer in my house in Connecticut, in my horribly dysfunctional marriage coming and uh, as a therapist and seeing all sorts of, I was in a psych hospital. So I was seeing all sorts of like really dramatic stuff. And I just started crying. And I was like, this, this is like what I know to be true. Everything she says makes sense, but how, like, I don't know how. Like, I know this is true, but I, how would I do this stuff? How would I get to this wholehearted living thing she talks about and get rid of shame? And so I Googled it, much like Brene does, and she had this training. And um, as me, most of you know now, because she talks about it all the time, her sisters work for her. And um, I did not know this. So I sign up for this training and they mess up my sign up a little bit. And um, I get one email that says you're accepted and another email that says you're on the wait list. And I write back because this is who I am at the time. Like, I'm a little nervous now about doing this because y'all don't seem very organized <laughs> to Barrett, who is Brene's sister. <laughs> and I don't know and I still don't know and I end up going anyway and I go and I find out she's her sister and I was like literally in this like conference room in San Antonio and and somebody goes well you know that's Brene's sister right and I'm like oh oh my god I like virtually (laughs) cussed her out in an email like and told her she was an idiot that's not cool um but yeah so I went to the training it was um the work is very interesting in that it's layer. I mean, it's any therapy it's layer and layer and layer and layer. And so there was a layer that was taken off at that training. Then I did my, you do 10 hours of supervised 
um, or supervision with a consultant. So I did that part. And then another layer was taken off. And then every time I teach one of the curriculums, because there's three curriculums, there's a curriculum for Rising Strong, which is what I did at Yoga Landing. Um, and it's kind of around story. Um, it's the, all the same research. It's based all on based on the same research, but it's just presented in different ways so that different people from different personalities can absorb it in a different way. So rising strong is about story. Daring greatly is about, you know, it's more, it's a little more, um, it has a lot of components of other therapy models. And when you see it, you'll recognize, Oh, that's CBT. Oh, that's DBT. Oh, that's mindfulness or, and, Mm -hmm. um, and then the gifts of imperfection is a, is kind of different. It's a little different. It doesn't have videos with it. And um, it is more about discovery of self, like kind of like going back to, I, I use it a lot. And I think it's very helpful for people who are um, not in touch with themselves, who just are kind of like, I know something's wrong, but I don't know. I always think of it as the runaway bride and the like, how do you, how do you want your eggs people? Like Mm -hmm. where it's like, they just don't know, like the, you know, and so they, they, it takes them a little bit back in time to where they go back and like, they think of their younger self and they can tap into like their authenticity. So that one works in a little different way as well. Um, And it is based on the 10 guideposts that Brene has. Um, And so that is, so every time I do it and I'm running a gifts of imperfection group right now, and I can't wait to see what I learned from this. Um, but every time I learn, I, I run one, something else, just another little, sometimes it's small. It's not always a big revelation, but, um, but it's, it's just really cool work. Yeah. Do you do in person or online? Well, I do. I have always done the groups in person. I do use the curriculum with individuals. Um, and when I do that, sometimes I do it online and we, and you can run through definitely daring greatly and rising strong are effective and one-on-one situations. Um, I use them a lot. I use them a lot with people who have trauma to get that, that base of knowing who they are and trust building before we do any trauma processing mm-hmm. so that. I've got a lot of history. I've kind of know the ins and outs of them so that when we start doing some processing, I'm like, oh, but you know what? Remember what you told me and when we were doing the daring way or, well, so how does that fit with your values? Or, wow, that was a big hit to your values. You know, so there's ways that I can use that work um, when in later processing. So I used it a lot during the pandemic that way because a lot of people were just, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and I'm not handling it. And, you know, God bless them that that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. But sure, there's a lot of people in the world who've had pretty nice lives. And, and um, that was really hard to have like everything like shut down and taken away from them and their, you know, things disrupted. So, um, so we use that a lot and it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um and but right now I'm running a group and it's interesting because it's at a gym um and it's a group of people who know each other but that I don't know very well so that's kind of interesting when I did the yoga landing one it was it was rising strong in your yoga practice and 
I didn't not know the people, but I didn't know them like real well. Um, and it was a, and they didn't know each other. So that was an interesting, and they weren't, cl- you know, it wasn't clinical. Um, so that was an interesting one. And one of the women um, who did it, I'm trying to be vague here because I don't want to like break her confidentiality, but she was, she was doing something that was kind of out of the box and in an industry where, first of all, women had no place, but, um, and she was like wanting really hard. She was like, how do I make this go smoothly? How do, how do I make all these other people respect me? And I loved it. Cause at the end, the group was like, you can't, you just yeah. can stop caring about whether or not they respect you. Mm-hmm. Don't give them the power. And she emailed, I think she emailed all of us, but I know she emailed me afterwards months later after she did this presentation and she said um it went great and they didn't get me and I'm like she's like thank you so much this was so wonderful and so that's the kind of work way the work can um you know why I do it I mean because you get this feedback I just get these random emails every once in a while from people like hey I was thinking about you this this thing happened and I I went back to my values or I gave myself permission to do whatever, or one of just one of the tools. And then one thing that that reminds me of is, you know, with the Enneagram, the Enneagram two really, really wants to be liked by others. And I'm not saying that the person who attended your workshop was an Enneagram two. I have no idea, but the Enneagram work can also help us in a similar way to say, you know, no, you know, you're not going to be liked. You're not going to be respected by everyone. And, you know, if you accept and love yourself and show up in the world, you know, as who you were created to be, that's what's important. So like there's already a lot of similarities and what we're going to explore today is Brene Brown and the Enneagram. And so because you're certified in the daring way and you're a yoga teacher, and you're a licensed clinician, you just seem like the perfect person to do this. So we're excited to do this with you today. Um, and I'm going to um, let Kat ask you a question. Well, Holly, I'm just going to tell you, we are still waiting for Brene Brown to call us and ask us to invite her. So I feel like talking to you today is just a step closer to the source, to the sun, because we're huge fans. But let me ask you about your yoga practice. I know you're a yoga teacher. Can you tell our listeners a little bit how you found yoga and uh, what went into your decision to pursue yoga um, practice and teaching and if it has helped you heal any parts of yourself? Um, it's, It's actually a pretty funny story. So I was married to an investment banker and I lived in one of the wealthiest cities in America and I was competing with the other moms to be like the most perfect mom and I signed up for this um I jokingly call it mom hot body like training at this (laughs) local gym and um, I mean, I wasn't at the time thinking that what I will tell you what happened is it was on my Enneagram seven got in the way. My son was training at this gym. It was mostly for kids. It was only open from like two 30 to seven at night or whatever, because they were, it was training that uh, it was for training um, 
hockey and lacrosse athletes. And so my, so, so I'm talking to the trainer who's this cute little 22 year old who, um, I really liked and admired. And, um, she was, she was very thoughtful and, and I did not realize this at the time, but she was a yoga teacher, which is where some of her thoughtfulness for her age came from. And, um, I'm like, y'all should do something during the day. Like this gym is beautiful and it's silly that it's empty all day long. Moms would love to do this. And so she planted, I planted that seed. And then like months later, she's like, Hey, we're going to do it. And you're going to do it. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I didn't mean for me, like, like, no, I was just being enthusiastic about what you're doing, giving you, you know, positive feedback. And so I was hooked, you know, I was suckered into doing it. I was like, well, I can't say no now. Um, but I didn't realize she was a yoga teacher and she had had a sports injury in college. She had played professional or uh, college sports and she had gone to yoga when she had been crushed for like, I like can't do this thing. That is my thing. And so, so we had these crazy workouts on Mondays and Fridays that were like were ridiculous. It was like sprinting stuff. It was not in my wheelhouse whatsoever. I got horrible shin splints that took me two years to like heal from, but on Wednesdays we did yoga. And after about th- the first time we did it, I can, I still to this day remember, cause one of my girlfriends was in there with me doing pigeon and laughing my ass off and thinking <laughs> I am never going to be able to do this. My butt is too big and <laughs> not going down any further. And I'm, you can, I'm picture my butt like way in the air and my knee going right. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, this, this is for the birds. I didn't sign up for yoga. This is not like what I want to do. I, I thought I was going to get a workout here. Well, a couple months later, I noticed, cause this thing was like from nine to 11 in the morning that every time I left, I, my whole day went well. I made all my errands in that nice little circle where you only make right turns. I like knew what I wanted for dinner. I was calm. I was responsive to the people in my life. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And then, um, I just slowly, but so eventually with the shin splints, I stopped doing that program and I, and I just started doing more yoga because it felt more true to like who I was. And so it was my accidental yoga journey is what I call it. Um, healing wise, it definitely got me in touch with my body. I was very shut down emotionally. Um, I was surviving a very, very difficult situation by numbing, not with anything other than just sheer, sheer will, just not feeling like I wasn't, I mean, I drank now and then I'm not going to say, but I was not drinking my feelings away. Um, I just wasn't feeling, I was powering through, I was staying busy. I was involved in everything. Um, and, but I never laughed heartily and I never cried deeply. Um, and yoga just started to like bring it all out. And, um, I still was, wasn't, um, I don't know that I was real aware. I mean, this was 15 years ago. So mindfulness was just starting to be a buzzword. Um, but anyway, so then I'm, I'm getting divorced after the, the, my last phone call with my consultant for the daring way was okay. So I'm getting divorced and moving back to Tennessee. And she goes, yeah, 
sometimes that happens with this work. And I was like, okay, well, good, because <laughs> it's happening. And I originally moved back to Knoxville. I grew up in Knoxville and um, I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't disappointing. Nobody did anything wrong, but I kind of recognized that being, there was a reason I had left Knoxville. Let's just say that. And so um, I was looking for a job and I was dating a man from Chattanooga and that was pretty easy with Knoxville. It wasn't that big a deal, but I was like, well, if this is going to go any further, I want to live in the same town with him. And so I moved to Chattanooga and then we, he did yoga at, at Southern soul. He did most of his yoga at Southern soul. And I introduced him and I can't remember the name of the place, but it was, um, in on the North shore and it was very Clear much Springs. more. Yes. Springs. Clear Springs. And I kept going, no, you need Fire to go to ship. clear. Yeah. You need to go to clear Springs. <laughs> like this is yoga. Like this exercise thing is not yoga. This is yoga at clear Springs. And then we discovered yoga landing. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like if the two of them had a baby, you know, but now I will say that as I lived there, I feel like Southern soul came more on. So I don't want to diss that at all. Um, and, but when I was moving, I was like, how am I going to meet people? And so I, and I, and I'd always wanted to do yoga teacher training. So I, I was like, talk to, Je I just happened to like, talk to Jessica literally like the week before it started and join. And, mm -hmm. um, it was a great way for me to like make my own community a little separate from his community. And, um, you need community. And I knew that. And, um, and I loved it. I mean, um, I love all the people that I met. Even I remember sitting with, there were just certain people in that 500 hour that I would sit with and I'd be like, okay, this is one of my people. I mean, and I, I was holding back, but um, I was like, I really like Christy. Like, um, and then there was, um, there's a couple, there's another, and I'm drawing a blank on her woman. She lives up in Jasper, who I just loved. And I was like, okay, this is another one of my people, <laughs> like, um, but, but it was a great experience and it did give me that, that what I needed at the time, the community. And then I moved to Nashville, long story, but we moved to Nashville and COVID hit. So I never even taught yoga. I've taught a couple classes, but I was going to teach more restorative yoga. And definitely with COVID, you weren't sharing props and getting in people's faces. So, um, I use it in my therapy as far as breath stuff and sharing with people, like, here's a good place for you to try yoga. And I think there's a place for all the different studios because some people I'd be like, yeah, you're really type A. You're not going to be able to handle something like Clear Springs. That's going to drive you nuts. It may be what you need ultimately, but let's introduce you with some kind of like hot yoga plus or something like that. And the it would help, you know, and it would, and then maybe then they would get to the next, they would be more interested in something a little deeper and a little more spiritual, mm -hmm. and a little more, um, uh, thing. So my knowledge of it, of the yoga and the, it has informed my work, but I'm not necessarily teaching yoga. I was really touched when you said that at that time in your life, you weren't laughing heartily or crying deeply um you know and i i think that 
we find glory in life when we're doing both of those, when we're experiencing the joy of life and living and the pain of life. And you obviously know that as a clinician and help your clients to do that. Well, Holly, since we are Brene Brown's probably number two and number three fans, (laughs) maybe you're number one. So we're just right behind you there. What we wanted to do on today's episode is actually quote Brene and sort of try to fit her quotes to each Enneagram type and then um, hoping that you could chime in and we kind of talk about every single one. And Christy and I usually, we divide and conquer and I take the odd numbers and she takes the evens. So I'll kick it off with Enneagram one. And the quote by Brene is this, healthy striving is self-focused. Example, how can I improve? perfectionism is other focus. Example, what will they think? So how would you differentiate between perfectionism and healthy striving? It's, it is really that simply, if I'm sitting there worrying about how other people are going to perceive what I'm doing, or that they might judge or criticize it, then that is perfectionism. Like if, if it's keeping me from doing something or a primary driver in my decision-making, then it's perfectionism. Um, if, if I'm somewhat, I try to be a very embodied clinician. So if my body feels tight and, and um, there's another word that I'm drawing blank on, but um, like it's going to snap, then it's probably perfectionism. Healthy striving, I would feel in my body more of maybe I'm tired. It's hard. The difference, I think it's the difference between like when you're doing something and you know you can like like you're taking, you're hiking, because I just went up this mountain and and I mean I went up several mountains, but this one was particularly steep last last week. And that healthy striving was my legs were tired. I, I could feel it, but I knew I could make it. And I knew that I wanted to make it. And when I'm going, doing something physical for someone else, and I really don't want to do it, the feelings in my legs, they just want to give out. It's very different that I, um, and my brain is saying they're going to give out instead of I can do it. That might be a, a way to kind of picture it um but it is that simple of this is something that it's also has to do with intention setting like is this in line with with where I stopped and thought hey I want to and you know I want to be a force in the world I want to make a difference in the world well is making you know my flower box look perfect making that difference is this or is this because I'm afraid my neighbor is going to say what's wrong your flower box you never put flowers in there you know that that would be the difference um you know but if I'm out there working a flower box because I want it to be pretty and because I'm excited about planning things and um, then that is healthy striving this is for me to look at when I drive into my driveway not for me to worry about whether or not my neighbor says you know why did you pick those flowers or whatever? Um, or aren't you going to water it? <laughs> this is actually a true story in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But um, 
but that's, I mean, it's, and it's pretty simple when you stop, you, when you just stop and you're like, am I doing this for others? Or am I doing it for myself? Does it fit with my values? That's the other big key to Brene's work. How does this fit with my values? And that's also a good a test of your intention setting. Does it, does it fit with my values? Oh no. Why am I doing it? I'm going to say, no, I'm going to give my permission, myself permission not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for a one, you know, with being, you, I can't, a healthy one would never go, uh, strive towards perfectionism because they're, that's not serving others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, shame is this, what will people think, this worry versus I hear you saying is being your authentic true self what do I need what do I feel what do I think like living out of that that place it's a very very different way of life versus you know place of shame and trying to please and perfect and do things for others so thank you um let's look at the two so our Brene Brown quote is we can't practice compassion with other people if we can't treat ourselves kindly. So why is self-love and self-care important? And what are your own self-care practices? So yoga is one of my self-care practices. Saying no is one of my self-care practices. Um, and sometimes just doing nothing. I have, um, we, we live in a house that's kind of got one of those like you know, big rooms with the living room and the kitchen and the dining room all in one room. And we have a bonus room upstairs, but it didn't have furniture. (laughs) And I do have a problem sitting where my husband can see me doing nothing. Um, But I need to do nothing sometimes. I don't have a big problem. He would say, you don't have a big problem with it. I see you doing nothing all the time. But there are times when I just want to go hide and do nothing and not and feel like no one's around. So I will come up. I I, I, one day I went out and I was like, I'm buying a couch. And I bought a couch and moved it up here. And I, I just sometimes just watch stupid TV and play a game on my phone or read a book or take a nap and nobody can judge me. So taking space where I'm kind of, it's funny because I've always scored as an extrovert. I am an extrovert, but there are times when I just need that alone time. Um, but as far as self-compassion, in my experience as a mental health clinician is a, it's the, should be the biggest key on your key ring. Like it is so important to talk to ourselves kindly. I know y'all, you, well, many of you, I'm hoping Christy that, you know, but, and Kat, you may know that, um, the research that the, um, premier relationship people, um, the Gottmans have done says that we need five to eight positives for every negative. We've heard so hard, so hard. Right. So if your self voice, if your head voice is negative, how are you ever going to receive five to eight positives for everyone negative? And a negative is you left your shoes out here. It's not, you know, it's not, you wrecked the car. It's you know, why did you burn the dinner? It's, or, you know, why did you forget the bananas at the store? That's a negative. 
So in our house, I practice, like I just, my husband said every single day, mm-hmm. like if I make the bed, it is like rare. It's maybe once a month, if not less, but he makes the bed every single day. And you know what? I say, thank you every single day. Be- mm-hmm. Well, not every single day. There's some days when I'm not even here, but, but when I notice it, I say, thank you, even though he does it every single day. And it's kind of the expectation that he's going to do it mm-hmm. because he needs a, you know, we need to reinforce, we need to speak positives to each other. When, when you do part of the um, Daring Way curriculum or the, it's called Daring Greatly now, but um, part of that curriculum is taking a self-compassion test on Kristen Neff's selfcompassion.org website. Mm-hmm. Um, my score, it's a five point score. My score when I took it at the training was a 2.5. I ran a Daring Greatly group at um, the Middle Path there in Chattanooga. And it was, it was, the Middle Path was just sweet to let me use their space. It was my own clients, but um, they, um, I, while they were taking it, I took it just to like, you know, I was like, oh, well, I got time. I'm going to take it too. My score was almost a five because of doing loving kindness meditations, getting myself out of a difficult situation getting myself settled in a better situation, talking to myself more kindly, asking for what I need, all of those things, two points difference in that score. So the good news is if you take it and you're like a 1.7 or 2.5, you can bring it up. It's broken down into three components. It's um, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness and if you can develop when you take the test it will break down those scores on each of them they each have a counter self-kindness is countered with self-judgment common humanity is countered with isolation which is we're going to get to and um, mindfulness is paired with over-identification meaning like i think everything in the world that happens is because of me or everybody's mad because of me i did something to make them mad instead of maybe they're just in a bad mood like, you know, um, so if, when you get your score, you can see where your weaknesses are, and then you can just, uh, you can practice being less of whatever the thing is, or being more of what the positive thing is. So mindfulness for me, the, also the, the, the mindfulness practice, um, for me probably moved me a lot, moved it a lot. I had started mindfulness practice, but didn't really understand what it was. I, I knew I, I was doing yoga. I had actually been to a, a silent retreat with Jack Cornfield up at Kapalu. Um, and, um, you know, and I was starting to get into it, but I didn't really understand it yet. And I didn't really um, understand how I hadn't practiced enough to make it part of my everyday life. Um, so I still had a lot of negative self-talk. I had a lot of trying to trying to like manipulate how people felt about me instead of just, okay, they feel the way they do. You know, I, I know I didn't do anything wrong, you know. Um, so with twos, I would say um, very much so um, I would, I see a lot and cause I do work with a lot of nurses and doctors and a lot of their self-talk is I need to be perfect to be loved, a lot of medical professional people, mostly doctors. Well, I shouldn't say that because I don't, I work with the ones who come to me. So I, the ones I, that come to me 
have chosen to be a doctor because that felt like it would be something that was safe for them. They're like, this will cover up this huge shame that I have for a variety of reasons, which I'm not going to disclose, but, and it's legit. There are things that, that society might say are bad. Um, and so it's really, it is very important for them to have that positive self-talk in their, in their brain and, um, and be able to be enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know, as clinicians, people don't always take what we say. Some the, su suicide is part of being a mental health clinician. It does not mean I was not enough. It might mean our system sucks. It might mean um, that I'm trying to think of what else, but, but it is ultimately sometimes the end to a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. Just like you can't cure, we would not expect a doctor to cure every diabetes case and keep people from dying from diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need care when something like that happens. We need to be cared for. We need to care for each other. And we need, but it's not our fault. Yeah. 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 Well, Holly, you just mentioned so many great resources. So I wanna highlight those for our listeners. So if you wanna read about self-compassion, uh, Kristen Neff is really a great person to turn to, and Brene Brown mentions her quite a bit in her book, so you can look up Kristen Neff and um, her work on self-compassion. You also mentioned Jack Cornfield, who is a mindfulness expert, and he's a great person to read about mindfulness. And then you mentioned the Gottmans, who are marriage researchers, and you also mentioned in particular um, that idea that for every time we say one thing that's negative, our partner needs to hear at least five positive affirmations, and that's from the work of the Gottmans. And uh, so they're great if you're having struggles in your marriage to turn uh, to Julie and John Gottman. So thanks for that. All right. Well, let's talk about three. So for Enneagram three, here's Brene's quote. Authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. So Holly, to you, what are some of the ways we can move towards authenticity and showing up as our true self? I think what, what I often see with people is they, we, they've never stopped to think about what their values are. You can't be authentic if you don't know who you are. You know, I mean, it's the first step in the dare in daring greatly is to just take a list of values and, and look and rising strong, both take a, take, take a list of values, go through them, identify what are the ones. And here's the thing about values. Sometimes we, we, they've been given to us. Like, or they were passed down, you know, like my family was Methodist, you know, and it's like, we're Methodist. And I'm like, well, actually, maybe I'm an Episcopal. <laughs> like, uh, maybe it fits a little better with my personality and my, what serves me and what, what um, feeds my soul. And um, so I'm going to let go of that value. I'm no longer going to be a Methodist. Um, maybe it's... Um, my dad's family is full of professionals, you know? And so, um, 
that seems to be, we have to be a professional, you know, maybe not, maybe that's not my, you know, true to who my, who I am and who my personality is. Um, so moving, you know, so that's first step, just figure out like who, and I think that exercise of kind of going back and thinking of myself as a five, six, seven year old. And what was I, what is also helpful because that's who you are. That's when you're your authentic self. It starts to change in middle school when you start to worry. Middle schoolers by nature at that age do not want to be different. The worst thing that can happen to you when you're 12, year old, 12 years old is to be different. Um, so you've lost yourself already at that point. Um, so if you can kind of go back and think of your pre-middle middle school self, it's got a lot of information on who you are in it and what you love and what you like. And you can think about what did I give up? Well, let me reintroduce that self and that in some way. Um, and so that, I think that's, and then giving yourself permission to not be liked by everyone or to piss some people off. Or um, I did a presentation recently, um, a, a continuing ed presentation and I got the feedback. This is the way shame resilience works. I get the feedback. And there was a, there was one particularly harsh, like it was kind, it was kindly given. I will say that, but it was, it immediately hit a shame button for me. And I did my shame resiliency work. And I was like, you know what? That was good feedback. It wasn't wrong feedback. It was hard feedback. And, um, and, and I, how do I want to respond and so I don't want to never, my first response is, well, I'm never going to give this continuing ad again because this could happen again, you know? And I'm like, eh, well, actually it really wasn't that bad. And how do I want to respond? And I just responded with, thank you everyone for your feedback. It's going to be really helpful for me moving forward. And that felt so good because it wasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't like I'm shutting down. I'm scared yeah. of that bad feeling. I don't want to have it again. So I'm just never going to give a continuing ed talk again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, you know, you have to be willing to like eat some dirt. And that goes back to Brene's quote, you know, the, that, uh, well, it's not Brene's quote, it's Roosevelt's quote. Like the, the honor goes to those who fall down and get up, not the people who never fell down, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Willing to fight in the arena. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's do our next quote, which we have the Enneagram fours in mind for this one. And of course, this is a quote from Brene Brown. Swimming is the trifecta for me. Exercise, meditation, and alone time. When I'm swimming laps, you can't call me or talk to me. It's just me and the black stripe. The only thing that can ruin a swim is when I shift my attention from my lane to what's happening in the lanes next to me. It's embarrassing, but if I'm not paying attention, I can catch myself racing the person next to me or comparing our strokes or figuring out who has the best workout set. When I go into comparison, I completely lose the meditation and alone time I need. It's funny about Brene Brown, because it sounds like she gets competitive. Um, 
when she starts to compare herself to others. And for me, it's the opposite. Like if I'm in a yoga class and I do start comparing myself, what happens for me is I shut down. So if I see somebody doing birds of paradise or something like that, and I know I can't do that, then I might end up in child's pose and just like, you know, that's how I, I shut down, whereas she starts to get competitive. But so that comparison trap shows up for all of us in many different ways. But anyways, Holly, how does the comparison trip us up and what practices can move us out of it? Well, I I mean, I think our quote says it all. And I was in a yoga class the other day um, here. I go to just give a little um, nod to my yoga studio here in Memphis, which is called Delta Groove. It's mostly a Kundalini yoga studio, but they have some other great classes too. Um, And this dude, (laughs) there's this like, he kind of, I would describe him as a white collar dude. So he's in the back row, clearly like relatively new to yoga. And he is just looking around. I mean, you know, I'm in front of him, so I can see him because we're in down dog. And, and he's just like, looking at everybody I, I see we're on we're on audio but he is just his head is moving right and left and he's looking at everybody around him and I'm, I'm like oh poor thing like he's he's not in the zone and I think like she doesn't do it with me anymore but I used to do yoga with my mom every now and then she would come to visit me and we would go to yoga class I didn't even notice a thing she was doing And I don't know anybody who's ever been in a yoga class with my husband, Greg, knows that he completely does his own thing. Like not completely. He tries to follow, but he will go off script in a heartbeat. And um, I always watch the way the teacher responds to him because it's a, in in this is, this is a little judgmental. I'm going to be on that, but I'm like, I, I know that the teacher's, the nice way to say it is a teacher's experience when they can ignore him. If they can't, if they're, if the, if they, if he throws the teacher off, then they're just, they're, they're something going on there, whatever it is, you know, they're either like just having a bad day or they're rigid or they are not experienced. But if we know, like when we go, when we travel, I try to get us in the back. Cause I don't, you know, you don't know, you don't want to ruin everyone else's whole class, but it can be thrown off. You know, you're teaching a class throw you off when you're teaching a class and there's this one dude who does like I was taking a class at Kripalu one time that wasn't it wasn't hard or anything the dude behind me is like completely doing something different I'm like why are you even in this room with us dude like you're not even like I mean it was like he was maybe doing Ashtanga but he'd come to this class you can go do Ashtanga in your room or in the hallway or something. Why are you in this room with us? So it can be very distracting to have someone completely doing whatever. But, um, but I think that's the whole comparison thing. Well, why is he doing that? You know, and I'm just like in my zone going, he can do whatever he wants to do. I know why I'm here. I know what I need. I know what I'm doing. And sometimes it's child pose. And sometimes it's, I'm going to go ahead and do a half moon when you said triangle, because I feel the need to like do that today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that is listening to your body, you know, and it's, it's, so it, it is all, but it's, we don't, if we were all alike, what would the world be like? 
if nobody was a garbage man or a grocery store clerk, how would we get our gar garbage picked up? How would we buy groceries? Of course, today that's becoming an obsolete thing, but, but we need all these other people. I celebrate, like I would like to, not that I always do, but I would like to be able to look at another person and see, wow, you add value to the world you know, thank you for picking up my garbage. And I am always really nice to my garbage men. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's just thoughtful things like putting your garbage in a bag and like, you know, putting your cans in a way that it's easy for them to get because they're doing something important for me. They yeah. are not lesser than me. It is very important that they do this for me. Um, and I, th and I sometimes assign that as a, um, to people who are comparing a lot and not, not necessarily comparing other people, but comparing their worth, I will, th their assignment will be, you have to, for the next week, before you see me again, every single time you're out in the world, look that other person in the eye. When you are getting changed from the grocery store clerk, look them in the eye, even at the checkout at Kroger, mm -hmm. you can, y'all don't, I don't think y'all have Kroger, but whatever at the grocery store, you can you, that person who's running all those self-checkouts, you can still look at them as you're walking away and say, thank you. Have a nice day. And eye contact, see them as a person, not as this thing that is, you know, owes you something. What that does is it, it, it helps you realize that, oh, other people can see me that way too. You know, mm -hmm. I have value in the world. I have this value that other person has that value. My ex-husband used to say when my son would make bad grades. And let me tell you, my son is brilliant. He has a, he's literally a genius and is running his own company at 30. Wow. And um, he would get a bad grade. And my husband would say, he's going to go to community college. And I was like, you know what? If that's his capacity, we are going to celebrate him going to community college. What, what is bad about community college? There's plenty, I mean, community college is a good thing. If, but A, B, our son is not going to community college because he got a B plus on this test. Like that's ridiculous. You know, um, he's finding his way. He's being a normal 15 year old who had other priorities, you know? Um, but, you know, that is like, that's important. Like there's not better, there's different, there's, you see, can, you can see that, hear the compassion in my voice. There's different, there's, mm -hmm. uh, it, but it still should be honored because it's hard work for that person. Mm -hmm. you know? Thanks, Holly. I agree with everything you said. And I do think that when we start to accept ourselves as we find ourselves and accept others as we find them and allow for differences in ourselves and one another, that that is a pathway out of the comparison trap. So thanks for that. Thank you for that. Well, let me kick off number five. So for Enneagram five, here's what we want to read from Brene. Researchers have identified three dimensions of loneliness to reflect the particular type of relationships that are missing. Intimate or emotional loneliness is a longing for a close, competent, or intimate partner, someone with whom to share a deep mutual bond of affection and trust. 
Relational or social loneliness is the yearning for quality friendships and social companionship and support. Collective loneliness is the hunger for a network or a community of people who share your sense of purpose and interests. These three dimensions together reflect the full range of high quality social connections that humans need in order to thrive. So Holly, to you, how does isolation hurt us? And what are some ways we can all move more towards social connection? And I just want to say, I think in today's world, we are the most connected and the loneliness, the loneliest that I think we've ever been because you're connected with million people all over the world, whatever social networks you're using, yet I think we've never felt more alone. Would you agree? I agree, but I think the problem is not the connect, not the broadness of the connection, but the intentionality of the way we connect. So, um, you know, if you look at her quote, you need the different components, you know, and, um, and even that, that, a network or community of people who share your sense of purpose and interest. So, you know, my, my son is in the tech field and he's like, get rid of Facebook and get rid of, you know, that stuff's bad for you. And I'm like, you know what? I have called my list. Like, I don't have people in my networks that don't share my sense of purpose and interest. And if there are people in there who are a little different in my you know, who we do have some disagreements over, I know why I have allowed them to be in my space. Mm -hmm. It is maybe because there's something else they bring to the table. There's a long-term relationship that goes way back where I can overlook this one piece. Um, or, you know, maybe it's just, um, it's safer for me not to reject them. You know, it's, it's and, and I might just unfollow them you know, so that I don't get a lot of their information, but I didn't send them any kind of message by blocking them. I just like, just quit letting them be in my space too much, you know? So I think we have to be intentional about, and, and I think what's great about Brene's work is it just, it says, listen, you need this. It's also Kristen Neff's work. You need this. You need to be in connection with other people. You need to be kind to other people and yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so, making, you know, thinking about it in dating, you know, my kids are in there, my daughter's 28, my son's 30 and their generation and even a little above them, like the way they dated, there's two things that I see that are kind of funky about it. First of all, this, the, the, um, the hookup nature of it and the, you know, the tender and the hinge and all that stuff. And it's just like instant gratification, no, no effort. And so it's also instant throwing it away you know, they ghost each other and all this, you know, they just like, oh, you looked at me the wrong way. We're done. You know, the other piece to it is that they're looking that they, they don't. And I even see this in the younger, like high schoolers, they think that dating is about, is about mating. Dating is about learning how, learning about yourself and learning what you want in a relationship. If you are dating someone and you learn that, wow, I don't want to be with someone who smokes because for a variety of reasons, the smells, they, they keep having to go outside and smoke when I want to be with them. 
I worry about their health all the time, whatever. There are reasons. And it becomes a deal breaker for you. You break up with them. What did you learn? You learned, you know what, the next time I start dating somebody and they whip out a cigarette, oof, I'm not even going to waste my time. You know, so if you, and that's a really silly superficial example, well, not that superficial, but superficial, relatively superficial example. But there, like, if I learn something from dating someone, even for a year, it mm -hmm. isn't wasted time. That's what I hear. I wasted my time. What did you learn? Well, I learned how to argue with someone. Well, I learned what it looks like to date a narcissist. Well, I learned um, how to deal with a difficult um, whatever. I met these people through them that I'm still friends with. So the, the, you don't come away from the relationship with nothing. Um, so when I, when I work with clients and they're able to change it, the, the, the trauma and drama of dating you know, ends. Um, as far, and then the collective longing, I do think, okay, two things that are really painful right now, we were isolated and then now we're, now we're trying to figure out how to reconnect. But if we do that with intention, instead of flinging ourselves at everything, it's like, we, we got a great reset, use it as a reset. How are we going to now like move through the world more intentionally? And I'm going to say no to like everything that I used to, or some of the things I used to say yes to that I realized I didn't miss them. I'm not going to go back to doing that. Um, and then um, the, um, like, and then the other piece of, of what COVID did was for people, for some people, they just really, it was scary. That isolation was really scary, mostly for older people. It was very, very, very scary. And then with the current political client, climate, it's just, for me, it's sad. I'm just like, do I really want to be on earth with these people? Like, how, how, or how am I on earth with these people? And these people could be from either side. You know, I'm not going to define it, but it's like, they're so opposite. Am I the crazy one who doesn't see that that's okay? Or are they the crazy one? And if they are the crazy one, why am I on the earth with crazy people? You know, so um, so I think that that is hit, hitting us. And you know, as far as for um, someone, you know, who just the different. We all need to just think about how that is affecting us, and it might be different than the way it's affecting someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and be tolerant and patient and kind about that person for, for that person's experience and empathetic. So this is just part one of our interview with Holly Wade. Next time we're going to be looking at Brene Brown and her wisdom and how it might help Enneagram type six, seven, eight, and nine. And also if you'd like to join us for the meditation, please stay tuned. Um, and the meditation will be after this word from our sponsor. Herman Hesse said, Within you there is a stillness, a sanctuary, to which you can retreat at any time and be yourself. So let's retreat to that inner sanctuary now with a short mantra 
that we will say four times, written by Thich Nhat Hanh. Breathing in, I feel my strong emotions. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I feel my strong emotions. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I feel my strong emotions. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I feel my strong emotions. Breathing out, I smile. Maybe place one hand to your heart and just take a moment to tune in to your emotions and then breathe in deeply through the nose. And then exhale out through the mouth, finding a soft smile. Namaste.